Welcome to another episode of Top Lines and Tales, your weekly livestock podcast. And as always, we'd like to thank our sponsors, Harbro, for their continued support. This week we have one of the most respected breeders of cattle and sheep and probably one of the most respected stockmen in Scotland, Jimmy Wilson from Barnyards in Mintlaw. And Jimmy, your name gets mentioned quite frequently on Top Lines and Tales, so it's great to have you here. Right. And Jimmy, I'm right right in thinking you've probably retired from farming now, have you? Or are you still, are you still running the no. farm? No, I sold the last of my land just six months ago. Okay, okay. More or less retired now, but... We still have a farmhouse and 20 acres of land because my daughter stays there and I've, uh, well, there's two granddaughters there and one of them is really keen on the sheep and they've got Charlie sheep, so uh, I'm well, still across there keeping her right and things like that. So. I'm sure you do keep them right and what a great mentor they have in yourself, Jimmy. And uh, your history in the livestock world goes back a long time and uh, I believe you worked with a, a man who's also frequently mentioned on this podcast, Gordon Blackstock. I did. I started off there, yeah. Can you tell me a little bit more about Blackstock? Obviously, he was in Angus and Shorthorns and a very well-respected man, well, I believe. Yeah, he was a bit of a character, Gordon. But he was, uh, well, he was with Cecil Moore originally. Uh-huh. And then I, I remember when the the, the Bapton had, was it, transported from Surrey, I think it was, by train up to Cambroggy. That would have been, I don't know, in the 50s, maybe. It was 50s, yeah. And then he uh, took on the farm at Den End of Strachan. And that was where I went to work for him. And, and he got some Suffolk sheep. But that's why I landed there with him. But then sadly he was killed in a motor accident, of course. So right. I only had about a year and a half with him. Okay. But he was a bit of a character, a great stockman. What, what, what age would you be when you went there straight from school? Oh, no. No, no. That was when I got married. Okay. I would have been. I wasn't very old then. <laughs> what did you do? Okay. That's my so, uh, yeah, no. that was what got me started in the Suffolk. Uh-huh. But he was a great man, wasn't he? Um, as you said, and, and the Bapton herd, of course, were fantastic. And he was one of the men that instigated bringing in the polled shorthorns into the country. That uh, You'd have had shorthorns, yeah, I guess. Yeah, so it was the Den End herd that I was with, of course. Okay. And, uh, I mean, he bred some fantastic cattle. He was well-known over the whole world, really. Mm-hmm. And... Uh, he had a great way with cattle as well. If there was a Auckland beast, he would take it, and somehow or other he could just handle it. Good, yeah. but, uh, no, he was a tremendous stockman. And, and that was the year he showed that bull Den Anglin Lake, which was, I think he was a ton. That was about the first shot hunt to be over a ton in weight. And right. A lot of people said he was too big, but mm-hmm. he wasn't. When you see him nowadays, he wouldn't have been very big. It's funny, isn't it, when we go back to some of those forward-thinking guys like that, when everybody was going for the little cattle going to Argentina, there were one or two that realized that uh, the breed wasn't really functional without getting a bit more size back in. Yeah. Okay. He was he was killed, of course. Uh, everything had to be sold up. And, mm-hmm. yeah. and uh, I think that was that year we bought this Suffolk sheep in Edinburgh, Ben Acre King Kong, we called him. Okay. He was, I think he was a top-priced lamb at 700. Mm-hmm. And he had a bit of a dark tail on that, but he he, he bred all right. But it was, it was a new flock, of course, so we just had hardly time to get going. But when he sold them in Aberdeen at the dispersal, he was sold for a thousand pounds as a shearling. Right, okay. And uh, well, that would be fifty-six years ago, maybe. Mm-hmm. And that, that was a top-price shearling ram at that time. 
And, and then, as you said, that got you into into Suffolk. Well, Did I you bought, you pick a few of those up from that dispersal? I, 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 yeah, I had a you that I, I was gifted from Gordon Blackstock. Okay. At, uh, and I and I, and I bought another couple, I think, and that was, got me started in the Suffolks. Okay. And then, of course, I ended up at Drumtilbo about a, about a year after that, and and uh, quite a quite a bit of success there. It was it was it was one of the better flocks at the time, Mike. You know. Where, and, uh, whereabouts is that, Jimmy? What was that? Bill Bruce. Oh, Bill Bruce in the Okay. You know, he's in the, in the Charlie world now. He's Bill Miles Charlie's now. Of course, yep, yep, yep. But that, was, that was after it was sold up the sheep. So I was there twice, actually, and, and I'd always wanted to go and farm on my own. That was always my ambition. And, uh, of course, I decided to, to go back and uh, home back home here and start up my, my own. And... While I was there, we had, I think we had a couple of Highland Championship and, and the top prize in Edinburgh. But uh, he had a couple of shepherds in between me and it wasn't very successful, so he decided to disperse them. Okay. So uh, I went back for 18 months, probably. It was 18 months, I think I agreed. He, Bill was president of society at that time. Okay. So I built the flock up and, and won the Gold Cup and... and uh, I think we had maybe the top price in, in Edinburgh that year. The uh, Drumkilbo Duke, I think it was called. It sold to Willie Laurie. Yeah. I think it was 1,500 guineas or something like that. Uh, my memory is just not as good as it was. But, <laughs> but that's, but we're the, talking, what, 70s here in the early 70s, maybe? Yeah, that's when it was. Uh, mm -hmm. Yeah. It was, uh, well, it'd be exactly 50, 51 years ago. Okay. Because uh, my second daughter was born down there. That's how I remember. <laughs> So anyway, but the, the flock I remember, but they would average, and the thought might they might average, you know, something like fifty or sixty pounds or guineas at that time, and I think they averaged about one hundred and sixty, which was a fantastic price. Like the, the, the top price to you was three fifty or three forty, but anyway, uh, Belvi said to me, "Well, if if, he, if I bought anything, he would give me it at." Uh, Half price, okay. or, was it, or maybe maybe for nothing. I forget. I think it was maybe half price. So of course I bought three, and then after the sale, he says, "Well, I only meant you to buy one." <laughs> <laughs> and I didn't have much money, but um, then Bill very kindly said, "Well, had had twice as much for his sheep as he expected, type of thing." So he gifted me the three use, and that was. Three of the better ewes, two of them did a lot of good. I, I won the Highland with a with a ewe lamb that I bought. The next, one of them didn't do much good, but the other two was the, the base of my flock, and that was a lot of my success was from from there on. Okay, and that would be the, the, the Bridgeton flock, of course, so that's roughly when you started then back then? 1966, I, my flock. That was when Gordon Blackstock was killed. That was that's when it was... But I didn't do much the first year or two until after the, the Drumkilber flock. So. And of course, you're, you're in amongst a nest of good breeders in about that area that you are there, and uh, a lot of them all came to the fore. Would be some of those would have the same same foundations as yourself, or you know, the Muresks and such like? Yeah, well, there was, a, there was a lot of good breeders up in Scotland that time. There was Scrine and, and, and Willet Porter and, and the Barnes flock, was a renowned flock, and then the Mayors and, and Mures flock, but, but that was it. And the, that was the Donan flock was a, was one of the better flocks. Okay. 
But uh, that was just the time it, it, for the Fowry and, and uh, the Kiana's flock started mm. just around that time as well. The, the, the boys between you that uh, ruled, ruled the Suffolk world for a long, long time after that, didn't you? But as you said, started with some good grounding and good ground as well, some good ground around you. Well, we did. It was just it was the area for Suffolk sheep, but sadly they're nearly all gone. There's, there's not many left, but I remember, well, I had a, had a lorry and I used to take the, the, for the Fowry sheep, the Cairnus rams and, and uh, Sandy Campbell, the captain. Flock. I used to take him to in my lorry down to Stonely, and I think a few years we had about half the money out of Stonely came out of my lorry. Really? <laughs> yeah. so, and talking, of course, as he went on there, they, they went from hundreds to thousands. You know, the, the trade, and, and uh, there was there was a lot of money being made in Aberdeenshire out right, of the Suffolk, wasn't it? Well, there was. I mean, uh, and, and it was real money then. I mean, money. You know, it was uh, you know a thousand pound bought quite a lot. <coughs> sure. Doesn't buy much now, like, but uh, and a lot of genuine breeders was I think then. Uh, I mean, I'll I'll be slated for saying this, but, but I mean, sadly, some of the breeds have got in just the uh, uh, money men, as I would say, really, and not what I would call real breeders, but. but uh, you know, and, and of course, well, we've moved on to AI and and uh, embryo transfer and everything like that. In some ways, it's been a good thing, but other ways, I think it's been a bad. Certainly, change the job and get and getting even more serious now. When you see some of these people with fifteen ewes are turning out two hundred lambs a year, and and uh, you know, it's narrowing the gene, narrowing the gene pool right down, isn't it? Well, I was in the, on the council of Southwark Sheep Society for about twenty-eight years, and and I'm afraid I always fought against it being uh, allowed uh, uh, without any restriction. I, I always believed that before you should flush a ewe or a cow, whatever, there should have been proven some sort of breeder to, to be, uh, you know, it's, it's a lot of people are in for financial gain rather than the breed, I think. Very true. And, and I, I still believe that should be today, you know, because uh, a lot of ewe lambs are even flushed now and, and heifers and things. And there's no, there's no record of how much the breed or, or anything. Like, if it had been, you know, I think it should always be proven breeders. It's, it's, uh, Gets into that working program. Yeah. I certainly. I spoke to Keith Jameson uh, not so long ago, and Keith advocated exactly the same thing. He said the sheep should know because he said you can be breeding from ewes with with no milk, and that's a genetic fault too when they're not actually rearing their own lambs. Well, I think if one breed is a problem with that, like, and that would be the reason for it because I believe they're prone to mastitis, and and uh, a lot of these ewes are being flushed, which I think is totally wrong because it'll it'll catch up with them someday, like I, I reckon. <laughs> I think, think it might be down already, but we won't go down that route too far because I have a lot of loyal listeners on here. But, and I'm just going to mention Harbro for a second. It was, it was um, David McKenzie. I think uh, he said you were a great mentor to him when he was a young man there. And Harbro fit right, fitted right in, didn't they, in that Aberdeen-Suffolk scene. They started to, to put the feed out there and, and, uh, and, and, and help you guys, I suppose. Yeah, well, Harbro have done a lot for the pedigree world really as far as feeding is concerned and the rations and things and, and I think that, that uh, they've got it about right I would say and and 
A man I think it helped him a lot would have been John Thomason from the Rowett. Mm-hmm. He was uh, he did a lot in rations and 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 uh, health and things and and sheep and, and animals. And uh, between them, they have uh, come up with well, one of the best rations I would think that you could find in the country. I mean, there's other companies probably just as good now, but but Harbour would have been. The instigator of that, and I think it was mainly maybe through through uh, mayors at Muresk who did a lot of experiments. I think with them and that, mm-hmm. it's been a big benefit to the pedigree world. I think, bro. We've we've had John Robertson from the route on this podcast before, and, and he advocated very much that same thing. But it was those those big stronger sheep, wouldn't they be coming from Aberdeen, coming down to to the sales down in the south there, and a lot of that. Well, it, it picked picked up the trade for Harbour, I think, by the fact that you guys were breeding stronger sheep and therefore must be the feeding. But there is something in the ground in Aberdeen that'll breed sheep bigger. Jimmy, would you say that? Yeah, well, there is, but there's there's, there's a bit in the stock, a fair bit in the in the stockman as well, I think, like because you know uh, Aberdeenshire and the north of Scotland is always. No matter what it is, they've always went for stronger, but more powerful animals, whether it be cattle or sheep or whatever, rather than what they did in the south. And, and I'm not sure it's always been the right thing to do because, you know, Suffolk's got to the stage that they got too strong-boned and, and lost a bit of favour through that. And uh, I think they need to watch themselves even today because uh, they still need to remember it. it's a commercial man at the end of the day and he's got the lambies big bone sheep and other I was and for that as well when I was improving them mm-hmm. sheep were nearly a strong bone 40 years ago is what they are now like no. No. and really I don't think there's really I was a need for it but uh, you know it's the body and flesh it's, that's what the sheep they are for to produce meat really in the bones and heads not a lot of good to the butcher I think if we go down that route a little bit further, there was a bit of a backlash, wasn't there, from the stronger bone ones, and one or two commercial men came in, and and the likes of James Alexander and these boys came in with it, with almost a different type, a bit finer boned and more of a commercially minded thing. But they've got to watch it that they're not going back down that route again. Well, that's right. I mean, there's a few of these lads, and and they're very able, and a a man I think will maybe transform the breed a bit. Is Willie Ingram? He, to me, he's some. The lovely suffix and what the, the the commercial man is looking for. Now, I mean, they've got tremendous bodies and carcass on them, and they've plenty bone and they've nice heads. They don't have the heads of the other. I, I think it's just a pity that they couldn't maybe the breed couldn't maybe hook up with William and uh, get a bit of his blood into the, the suffix, and I think it would be an advantage because. For me, anyway, I mean, I'm a bit of a dinosaur maybe in the breed, but. But I think that's the kind of sheep that they want to be breeding something to suit the commercial man because yeah. at the end of the day that's your main customer. Sure, sure. And we've had the Logie Derner boys on again on the podcast and they do run their own type of sheep up there, don't they? They've got their own their own breeds of sheep, I believe, sort of um the Logies and the Derners and various things. But uh, yeah, oh, yeah. able men the top of the game, but as you said, their commercial market they're selling a lot of tops and they know where the commercial man is and what he needs. Exactly, yeah. Yeah, they're one of the the ablest breeders in the country at the moment, I think, as far as commercial sheep is concerned. Yeah. Certainly, certainly agree with that. And, and just going back to those days, of course, you had the boys down in the south, my next door neighbour, John Sinnott, and there was Robert Hume and uh, and John Sherrett and Roger Weaver. They were a bit of a bunch of crowd of boys down there, but I think you were a bunch of rogues together, to be fair. It was a bit of a party time, wasn't it? Well, 
Yeah, well, I wouldn't, have, I wouldn't think there was any rogues among them, was there? <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, they're probably. All... I, know, I, know what, I know what you mean, but uh, no, I mean there was, a, there was, a, well, there was that pocket of good breeders, and there was other pocket in Yorkshire at one point. But, you know, it's amazing. Well, when I started in the sheep, it was Ipswich the place to go for the stock ram, Good, and then it moved moved to Edinburgh, and, and now it's moved to Ireland type of thing. You know, it's amazing how it's moved around in sixty years time, been in it. Yeah, maybe come back to you. And and I'm just going to mention one one uh, ram that, that that holds a place marker, I think, in the in the breed, and that was Panky Moore Prelude, who I think was twenty three or four thousand or something. And didn't wasn't his breeding in behind you there? Some there's a bit of a story there, wasn't there? Yeah, well, John Shannon came to me. The, he bought one a few gimmers from me, me, and he used to come up, stay up a few days. Him and his wife Janet and that, and, and he would always buy maybe a one gimmer. And would always a bit of haggle because he always wanted my best one. But uh, I was never in favour of selling the best one. But uh, he maybe got the second or third best one. But uh, anyway, this time he had a bit of bad luck with this one, and, and he lost her and, and put nothing. In. And he was back the next year, so there was a year running with two late ewe lambs, and I said, "Well, you can pick one of them," which he did. So next year came round, and the ewe lamb was still with me, and it was stopping time. And I said, "Well," he said, "Would you?" Up on now, and I said, okay. So I switched ram do you want? So I had a grey hill ram that paid a bit for it. So it's okay, put her in with him. So it was fine. One lunchtime I had my use in the pens doing something with, with them. And all, all the rams, I forget now, but the use was just in the next field or, or vice versa. And when I came out, this thing stopped and sub John jumped the fence and was in with the use. And of course, the only you to be topped was this sewer at John Sherrod's. So it was topped with, with the, the Stockton Sir John instead of the, the Greyhound sheep. And of course, it was left and left to me. So John said, well, you better lamb it now. So, well, it was lambed with me. And so it was with me. It, that was it. What happened? It was packing over preload to this single ram lamb. And, and uh, once he was weaned, he went into John and, and he did a lot of fun with him. And yeah, he was. Uh, went on to be a very famous sheep so that was a, the story it was okay. <laughs> other story. just a bit of luck that he was ever conceived really well he was he was a tremendous sheep I remember him well and just won just about everything before him and as he said he, you know, he broke the record back then of the trade and then the record started going then didn't they and the prices started rocketing year on year up to you know, 20, 30, 40 70,000 it was uh, it, it got a time there where everybody was after the top genetics and there were a few money boys coming in there under, underpinning that from, from Ireland and various places yeah, well, that's right. I think it all went back really to Battle Health Connor, and that was sheep that I bought from uh, Stuarts at Battle Health, and he really put a stamp in my flock. And, and uh, it was well, he was uh, the yeah, he was a grandfather at, at Prelude, so okay. and he was a tremendous sheep and, and the cheapest top that ever I had. So. <laughs> It's often the way, isn't it? The cheaper ones that, that do breed, and 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 you did. You went on, Jim. I know you had some good prices and what have you, and you, know, you went on and dispersed the flock. I think at uh, at some stage, and some of your use breeding would have gone into a few others. Yeah, well, maybe sadly, it was food and most years, two thousand, and I sold the flock privately. Okay. And uh, uh, looking back in hindsight, I'm a bit, which I was planning to do to start with, but it was a food and mouse and unfortunately the. 
the purchase I didn't just make the best of a job of the flock, but uh, yeah, there was quite a lot of use around in that. Uh, but it was I was a wee bit sad about that, but never mind. These things happen. Uh-huh. Indeed. Indeed. But I was going to sorry, I could maybe tell you a wee bit about Battle Hill Cannon. That was sure. Well, he was sired a year for three years. I I got asked to judge the the, the Kelso show. And that was after the Edinburgh sale, so it was sort of mixed and mixed to the ram lambs. It was the, the best was all gone. And there was about 10 or 12 ram lambs, and there were a bit of a mix. And there was this small ram, smallest one in the class. And I always remember going back to Gordon Blackstock. He all, that was one thing it, it, he said to me, and I often remember about if you're struggling to make your mind up when you're judging, imagine you get to pick of them for nothing to take home with you. And he says, you make your mind up like that. Well done. And I thought, well, this little lamb's the only lamb I would take home out of this bunch. So I put him first. And some of my uh, shepherd pals uh, criticised me badly for it. Anyway, I went away for lunch with William Stewart. And, and as you do, you visited one or two stands. And how we got back was kind of quite good form. And I had bought this sheep for £220. So that was fine. Uh, well, I wanted to put him to the Don's show the next week, so he kept him. Well, he was last in his class, I think. We <laughs> anyway, I took a sheep. I took him home. I met Kevin on the bridge with with him. I about took him home. And poor Willie's dead now, but uh, he always denied it, and I always said. So after a few days, when I put him in the use, he had a white spot in his head, <laughs> which was kind of proud of it. So I took him out first year, and I had a 900, 600, and 150 for them. I always remember that. So next next year he got most of the use because I could see he was going to breed. And that was when he was sired a year and my top price was 5000 yeah. yeah. And uh, there was one in the early 70s. I went to, I think Sim's show was that year, and I won every one with uh, different sheep. Not all by Barnhill Cannon. Ah, so. Okay. He was a... And that was the only reason I bought him because, uh, you know, Blackstock had said, take, you know, just think that you get him for nothing. And I've told a few people that to do that when they're judging it. Mm-hmm. Very wise word. So, a lot of judges listening to the, a lot of judges listening to this this program, obviously. And uh, yeah, take that on board. That's a wise word. Something I've never heard before, to be fair. And that makes a, no, no. makes a lot of sense. Yeah. And and then Jimmy, you went on. We'll, we'll move from the the, the the sheep. You went into the Charolais cattle. That, um, as you said, stronger Charolais from the Aberdeenshire there, and, and a demand for them um, still is a demand for Aberdeenshire Charolais. The Yugi herd there. When did you start that? That was in nineteen ninety or so. I started the Charolais. Okay. I bought a cow or two, but I never really did a lot with them. And then this young lad, Kevin Malaki, came. He used to come as a as a schoolboy and that, and was very keen. So I gave him a job and and, and asked, well, I'd get some more Charlies and, and he kind of looked after the Charlies. But although Kevin was good at most things, he was had one or two good young lads when, when, uh, at that stage. And that was when we were champion at Perth uh, at that time with the, with the bull. We were champion male and female that day. I couldn't believe it. I thought all my Christmases would come at once. <laughs> It was a good, it was a good bull. Like it made twenty four thousand, was it? You get legend, yeah, Perth champion twenty four thousand. Yeah. You're right, yeah. And and where would some of your yeah. foundation cows have come from then, uh, Jimmy? Any any well known, or just picked a few up and bred them yourself? 
well, I just bought them here and there. I went to Westfield and things and bought cows. But, but the granny of the bull, no, I forget the name of the small herd, but they bought some good cattle and had them made a very good job of them. And they were, they were uh, for sale at Banbury. Mm-hmm. And this other young lad I had was Keith Johnston, was only newly passed his test. And I said, you came for a run uh, tomorrow or whatever, and he said, oh, yeah, you come with me. So we left over time. I can't remember, but four in the morning or three in the morning. And we drove to Banbury, and I bought two cows, and uh, he drove a, a little bit, but he just wasn't a lot experienced on motorways and things. And uh, we were back home the same night, a thousand miles round trip. That was the, one of the cows was no good, but that was the granny of the champion. Uh-huh. The best line of cows. Okay. I know she was like Grange. Oh, God, I'm getting terrible pedigrees now. She was called Ickneald Beatrice. Because uh, yeah, I remember do I used to do a few dispersals at that time down about about Bambri, and I remember you being down there, so I think uh, probably the same time. Well, read about them. And then when I sold my cows, when I dispersed them, the Far Hills flock Jim Muirhead bought my my top price cow nine and a half, I think it was, was a heifer calf at foot from that same line, and and that's ten years ago, is it? And she's she's still going. Okay. And she's, he's I don't know how many cattle he's got in his herd uh, descended from her he must have a dozen females or something because she said twins and, and uh, I don't know I think his daughter Alison will be a sad day when that cow has to go mm-hmm. but uh, as far as oh, she's got a calf foot again this year and she must be 14 year old or something now yeah. Yeah. But, uh, a profitable cow by the sound of that then a profitable one and that's what it's about is the profit isn't it and you and you went on Jim to be to be um Chairman of the Shirley Cattle Society, 2005, would I be right? Yeah, that'd be about it, yeah. Yeah, I was lucky enough to be chairman and, and, and then I got the honour of being president as well. And I was, well, I was the same with the Suffolk Society. I was chairman and president of it as well, which was a great honour and uh-huh. something to look back on, but... 2005, the Charolais would still be still be rolling on there. They had, they went through a little bit of a lull, but they're back, they're back in now. I think the right ones anyway are still in demand. Yeah, I think that they've got the carving is a bit better, and that was the thing that held them back, because there's nothing better for livelihood game than a Charlie. Uh, but that was the only thing. I think there was too many breeders going to France, maybe, for when those... Well, you, you'll know how likely they are in France. They're I do. Thicker, more shoulder about them in back end, and, and, uh, but they don't seem to worry so much over there about the carving. No. And, uh, but the I think it still need a touch of that, maybe just to, through the breed, but but it was maybe too much of it at one point, and I think that was one of the things that didn't help him. Mm-hmm. I was at uh, Major Walter. In fact, we had Major Walter on the from Balthek on the podcast a while back there. I think he had a Yugi Echo. Would that be? I think he was talking about, but a bull that did very well for him. Yeah, uh, that's, that's right. He did. He was he was very easy to carve. Not mm-hmm. he was by uh, Goldie's banker. That was. Uh, he was an easy carving bull. That was a bull. When I, when I judged Bert that year, I, I, he was, well, I think he was reserve senior, but he was the type of bull I was looking for. And uh, he did really well for me. Good. That bull, Major got that son. Was, uh, yeah, Major got, got the son, that's right. Echo. And you dispersed the, the, the Charolais. Uh, when was that, uh, Jimmy? When I was 70. Okay. <laughs> It'll be 11 years ago, so... Wow, that puts you over 80, okay. I just passed the sheep when I was 60, and that was always in my mind. 
and then I did the cows when I was 17. And, and uh, oh, I've missed them, but anyway, the age catches up and I have a few sore bits that I would rather not have, but we can deny him about it. I'm still here and I'm still able to lift a glass, so it's not so bad. <laughs> that's, that's, that's the main thing, but it is, yeah, there has to become a time when you can't. And you obviously do a lot of judging, you'll have judged a lot of things. I remember you judging the interbreed at the Royal Highland Show, I think 2015, when you put an Angus up there, Shadwell um, Black Broughton for. For yeah. Alistair and Graham Fraser. I did. I did, yeah. That was a tremendous bowl. It was an easy winner in my eyes. I think it was. I think to get that in. I judged the uh, interbreed sheep at the Royal one year, and I think it was 30 something I've never even seen before. So. Really? <laughs> but, uh, no, I've I really enjoyed my, my career in judging, and also judged, twice judged out in Melbourne. Did you? And, uh, Tasmania as well. So, judging, uh, judging sheep there, um, Jimmy. Judging Suffolk sheep, yeah. And, and and what like would the sheep be in Australia? I know there was a time when a few Australian Suffolks came in. There are still still a few Australian New Zealand Suffolk herds about here. What like were, were the were the Suffolks down there compared to what what you were used to in Aberdeen? Very different, really. They're much finer on the bone. They didn't the lot of them had very brown kind of heads, but then they were a different purpose because they were very fussy about the wool. And uh, that was one of the criticisms of my judging because I didn't pay much attention to wool because I wasn't experienced in the wool and I just had to judge them as I would have done at home, like. But uh-huh. but uh, there was a lot of a lot of hobby breeders, but there was a lot of key. The Suffolk, as far as I know, have done quite well there again because it changed them from black to white. Uh-huh. They crossed them with a bull Dorset, I think, and, and I actually thought the white Suffolk was better than the. Blackfish suffers, to be honest. But Certainly, there's a lot of white sheep. I, I really, but because of the black wool, of course, was the thing that's held them back. Yeah. And, and, uh, Change times now when the wool's not worth so much, I know, but then we, and we had a, a, a chap on, on here from the, the Tatty Keel flock there that were breeding their own type of white sheep, were a bit of Suffolk, a bit of Texel and various things there, and uh, yeah, in big demand, and big, and big money in them too. And the Paul Dorset's always mm-hmm. in the back of those. And... That's always something that, that gets to me, I don't know why, can't utilize wool better because it's a very natural product. And I mean, if you think in this day and age for insulation or something like that, that uh, the wool would be, but uh, they're trying to get away from all these synthetics and all that kind of things. But uh, I've always thought that there was somebody someday would pick up wool and there was a lot of potential in it, but maybe it'll happen yet. I don't know. <laughs> I, still, still, I still don't like those suffix with a lot of black wool in it. I think it, it, it's a pity to let that into breed because there's plenty of good suffixes that don't have black wool and I don't see why I would criticise the society if they let the breed go down that way. I think they're taking a stand on it now which is not pleasing some people but uh, I would I would be against a lot of black wool and sheep I think it's okay. and this, and this bear sheep as well. I, I don't think a sheep was ever meant to be bare wool. They were supposed to be covered to wool because they were bred for being outside and hardiness and in the hills and things like that and I, I still think a sheep should be well covered in the wool. The chap that we had on the podcast that actually bred the wool off the off the sheep bike because he said the sheep wool was worth nothing he bred the sheep off them and he, he swore they were hardier without wool and they would have been with wool but I'm not quite sure that's a, that would work in Scotland maybe. Well... If you're breeding them, I suppose you can convince yourself that anything like that. But it, it's okay. I mean, you'll, you'll, you'll rear any sheep uh, if you keep them inside and molly-cuddle them like that. 
you've got to think in the commercial man at the end of the day because that's where they all end up. Like, in, I'm pretty sure they would prefer them more wool, but that's just my opinion. Certainly there's not much wool left on a lot of these taxels now, that's for sure, but there's another controversial point that probably shouldn't go down. And, and um, the breed of choice, you said to, uh, at the top of the, of the, the call here that um, you're still at home in the farmhouse there and kept a bit of land and, and your, your granddaughters have now gone into Charolais, is that right? Well, I bought them. The youngest one was a nine-year-old, and wanted a sheep, a sheep or two. They had a wee bit of land where they were, and, and I bought them. A, went to Lanark and bought them a couple of Charlie Gimmers because I thought they might be easier lambed and things. And that's where it all stemmed from. And, and then, well, the one the Highland Show was I was feeling you uh, three years ago, was it? Maybe. Okay. So they've, they've, they've been showing at the Highland for the last I don't know six, seven, eight years. And they've always done quite well. They've had a few red tickets and. They're never far away, but uh, when Willie Ingram's there, I'm afraid Willie's a, a, a hard man to get past. At one point, I said that was my ambition to beat him. So, so, so we did beat him three years ago. But Willie says it'll be difficult to do it again. <laughs> and what, <laughs> I, what, 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 well. what are your two granddaughters called? Let's give them a shout out. Then is it the two granddaughters that showed them, or just the one? No, there's two. There's Ailey, who is an ROV pilot now. She's just. 23 or so, and she's really keen on the sheep. Well, she's on a boat for a month at a time, so she's a month away and a month at home. And uh, the youngest one is Erin, who's just coming up for 21, and she's also due to have a baby in about a week's time. So. Brilliant. So that's another generation. <laughs> another generation of, a, of you there. And, and and they have had such, obviously, great mentor in, in yourself there with the with the Charolais there. And you said they won a few prizes. Just um, uh, where did those foundation news come from, uh, uh, Jimmy? You said down in Atlantic. Who, what breeding was in there? One came from a, a guy, God, was McCarty or not? It was Mick something he called them. Another one came from Sheena Coggle up in Orkney. Okay. So. But there's quite a bit of loggy breed, loggy dunno breeding in them now because, uh, well, Wally was kind enough to let them get an AI there first year or two and fit a two or three loggy dunno rams, like so. Okay. So there's, uh, there's uh, quite a bit of loggy dunno breeding in them sure. because uh, I think it's a bit hard to get past loggy dunno on the Charlie sheep. <laughs> Yeah, and, and and the other breeds, as you say, as well. So no, that's good. No, well, that's great. You're still keeping your keeping your handy there. As I said, it's a good uh, a good mentor for yourself, and you still get out to the shows, Jimmy, and out and about, and uh, get where you oh, can. Yeah, I guess I get out the shows, and I still go to Princeton Market. Not every week, but weeks, some weeks, and that, and I buy some cattle for for chop at uh, bought part of my farm, like so. Okay. So no, no, I'm still. Keep the interest. Mm -hmm. I haven't much else interest, so <laughs> I'm too old to get interested in women nowadays. So. <laughs> So, I'm sure you'd still chase him if you get half a chance, uh, uh, Jimmy. Now that's it's <laughs> an absolute uh, pleasure to talk to you. As I said, you know, a man you know, steeped in a lot of history in, in the breed, and, and obviously famous for, for well the, the things that you've done and have done particularly well. And somebody, as I said before, that everybody respects and, and looks up to. And uh, I'm sure a lot of people will be interested and in, in, in listening to your to the knowledge that you've put over for us uh, this afternoon. Well, I don't know. I've, I've had a great life with a pedigree world and some great some, some like you some great nights in the back of the lorry and things and met some tremendous people along the way and uh, both 
just a matter of some great shepherds around as well, some very knowledgeable lads I've met. I've learned a lot from a lot of them. So. Oh. No, I, I have no regrets. I'd like to do it all over again. I'm sure, I'm sure. But it's great that you are passing that knowledge on down to the youngsters. And I know, as you said, a couple of young shepherds you've had with you. And I know you've helped a lot of young ones along the way, and including David McKenzie. You said, you know, be very helpful to him and lend him a few rams and such like. And I think that's, you know, that's commendable that you can, we can keep putting a bit back to the to the generations. Yeah, well, I, I like people and, and I don't mind giving them any of my experience if I can at all, like the knowledge that I've got. I, I think that's that's uh, what we should all be doing, the older generation, because uh, it's the younger ones that's coming behind us, they're the future. I have a lot of faith in them, I have a lot of good young people around, so I know they get slated a bit sometimes, but I have a lot of faith in the young Good. Generation. No, brilliant. Well, that's something that we try and do on Top Lines and Tales is take a bit of that older knowledge and pass it on. And so, mm-hmm. Certainly, I believe we've done that today, uh, Jimmy. I really appreciate your time, taking your time to talk to me on Top Lines and Tales, and I think everybody else will appreciate it too. Oh, well. I hope I haven't spoken too much about this. And we'll look, you'll be down at the Highland there, uh, Jimmy. We'll try and catch up with you and get oh, a, yeah. try and catch up with you and get yeah. a drama on you there. Very good. All right. We'll look forward to that. Okay, Andy. All the best to you. Cheers. Thank you for listening to this week's episode of Top Lines and Tales, your weekly livestock podcast. And as always, we're thankful to our sponsors, Harbro. And if you're looking to get your pedigree stock ready for the summer shows, then get in touch with Harbro to find out what their feeds could really do for you. I mean, Harbro is founded on top quality feeds for show sheep, and it feeds a lot of champions throughout the country. So thank you to Harbro for your continued support. Look them up, please, on the internet or on social media or contact your local representative. And while you're on social media, don't forget to look out the Top Lines and Tales Facebook page where there's a whole community there and you'll find uh, hundreds of photographs and pictures and articles and links and everything to back up this and previous podcasts.